Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from the Dolphin Hotel discussing the 2007 supernatural horror film, 1408. This film was directed by Mikael Hofstrom, and the screenplay was written by Matt Greenberg, Scott Alexander, and Larry Karaszewski, based on the short story by Stephen King. The first release of 1408 was in audio form only, read by Stephen King himself in the audiobook Blood and Smoke. It was later released in the short story collection Everything's Eventual in 2002 before finally being adapted into this film. Through the various ways of enjoying the story, 1408 finds a way to tell the classic story of a haunted hotel room in a new and creepy way. So, what did you guys think of 1408 the first time you saw it? This movie came out when I was in jail, so... <laughs> I had to watch it when I got out, right? <laughs> but I remember seeing the trailer for it, and I was like, "Man, that's fucking nuts!" Mm -hmm. And then I watched it, and I was like, "That's badass!" I was like, "That's great," <laughs> because it wasn't something that I was expecting, mm -hmm. you know. And then I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "This is actually good!" I was yeah, like, hell yeah! No, I loved this movie too. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing it in theaters. I feel like nay. I think it was you, me, and our parents, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated that year. It was a real big like, year I didn't for give me. A shit. I, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I uh, remember loving I, any movie that kind of has almost an isolated one person situation. Right. Yeah. I, I love it. Like if you, it's the same with like Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Right. Where you have just two people in a room for a mm -hmm. whole movie and you can make a whole movie out of that. Right. That's interesting. Oh, no, yeah. And it takes a lot. Mm -hmm. There's so much skill that is necessary. Also, the skill necessary to turn a short story into a feature. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> this easily could have been a, an entry in an anthology. Yeah. I think your sister told me, because she was asking me to, to listen to it. And I uh -huh. told her, I would, what did you say? It's like an hour long? It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. To turn that into a whole movie? That's, that's not bad. No. And not to be bored with being, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, in a single room. And you don't, you're not bored at all. No, not for one moment. And it's a very faithful adaptation. It is. I mean, of course, they added stuff because it's a full right. movie. Mm -hmm. But no, it it's very faithful. As for me, uh, Blood and Smoke obviously was very close to my heart. It's my <laughs> handle on everything. everything. But I would listen to the story a lot. Well, we would with mom. And it scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you always have that mix of being really excited and mm -hmm. really scared that they're going to fuck it up. Yeah, for sure. But um, what's really funny to me is the story itself. He wrote a couple pages of this for an example of editing for his book on writing. Mm -hmm. But that's all it was supposed to be, a couple pages to explain how to edit down, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But obviously it took a hold of him. And I'm glad that it did because... Wow, it's a it's a fantastic. I would recommend you can even go on YouTube and find the one him and I'm not saying he's always the best narrator. <laughs> <laughs> me and me and dad have like a running joke where it's like, oh, I got a Stephen King audiobook. Yay! Oh, it's read by Stephen King. Aww. Aww. <laughs> 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 but he shines in this one to me right no he does well um, and it, like i said it's legitimately creepy and john cusack it's like a one-man show oh yeah for i would say the majority of this movie and he is phenomenal 
I think that's what's so important about this movie is that you need a lead actor that can carry this film. Absolutely, yeah. Because if it were up to anyone else that couldn't hack it, this movie would be horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's oh, all yeah. up to him. And he does exceptional. No, he nails it. I think that another thing that really hooks me into this, because personally, of all the Stephen King adaptations I've seen, this is probably one of my favorites. That's totally fair. I think that what makes it so great is that you can tell that Hofstrom is a huge Stephen King fan. I wanted to talk about that as well, because, I mean, you can see it. I know we're not obviously covering Gerald's game right now, (laughs) but like if you watch Mike Flanagan's Gerald's game and you are a constant reader of Stephen King, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I get that. I get that reference. (laughs) I get that. I know what that means. This is very much the same. Yeah. It reminded me of Mike Flanagan. Yeah, it's like somebody who clearly respects and loves the material adapting it rather than somebody being like, oh, we're doing the story. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of references to The Shining. There is. Specifically. Which, I mean, it kind of begs for it because it's another hotel. hotel. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I read that they even filmed parts of this film at Elstree Studios in England, which is where The Shining was filmed. That's so cool. So it's like, (laughs) you took it a little far, but I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we give this film a light turn, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's check in. So the film opens on a rainy night with the vehicle pulling right up in front of us and stopping with the title 1408 appearing next to it. Like through the headlights. I thought it was pretty cool because yeah. I'm like, we're getting straight to the fucking No, point. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked that because it was there and mm-hmm. then it was yeah. gone. No, I agree. And that was it. And there's there no pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And not to take anything towards it insidious or whatever. Not to oh. take anything from that because like, it pops out and yeah. then the music's like super loud. <laughs> But like, like, this oh, was, yeah, like this was there. Like you said, it's like we're getting into this right yeah. away. Yeah. But the vehicle backs up to a sign it pass and we see that the driver is Mike Inslin, played by John Cusack. And the sign reads that he's now leaving Fairfield County and a preacher is ranting on the radio. Mm-hmm. But he consults his map and turns around, driving back in the direction that he came. Finally, he reaches his destination, the Weeping Beach Inn, and tries to check in. I liked that he not was lost at the beginning. Yeah. But I feel like it's a bit of character development as to kind of tell you the kind of guy he is. He's kind of frantic. He's not 100% organized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's just these small moments that are letting you know who this character is before he even says a word. And right. We're getting to know him. Yeah. What that. Yeah. I had mentioned this before we started recording, which I probably shouldn't have, but <laughs> I feel like they get to the characterization so quickly Mm -hmm. we get to know who mike inslin is almost immediately without them doing too much without a bunch of expositional dialogue Mm -hmm. they just did a good job yeah um (laughs) but inside the inn he is desperate to get his key to get up to his room but the owners are not having it they're like no let us tell you about you know the history the alleged haunted history including a maid hanging herself on the stairs and a family that all died of tuberculosis in the attic rooms upstairs and he, the look on his face is just kind of like, this is every day. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is nothing <laughs> yeah. new or frightening to him. He was just like, come on. <laughs> Can I please have my key? Room. So he asked to stay in one of the extra haunted rooms, and they oblige, warning him to be sure he locks the door from the inside. 
I'm like, doesn't everybody That's, do that? Yeah. Dude, I, <laughs> I swear, every single hotel room, <laughs> I would not want to stay in a hotel where the room locks on the outside. Yeah. yeah. That's hostile. Yeah. <laughs> so finally in his own room, he tosses his white socks cap on the bed, which is bad luck. It is. For anybody keeping score. Um, <laughs> along with this tape recorder and settles an unlit cigarette into the bedside ashtray. Looks very methodical yes. the way he does it. Yeah. But we see him sitting quietly, enjoying the mini bottles from the welcome basket <laughs> before getting up and inspecting the room. There is nothing of note. And then he lays down and goes to sleep. So just like the ghoul boys from BuzzFeed Unsolved, <laughs> this is a dream job Abs- yeah. situation. Like just live in the dream. And I am incredibly jealous. Yeah. I thought that too when I was watching it. I was like, that would be badass. Yeah. I was like, that would, would be, be cool so just cool. to go around the haunted places and let's see what's going on here. <laughs> But in the morning, Mike talks into his recorder on his bed before we see him continuing to talk on it in the car, finally rating the hotel six out of ten skulls before amending it to five skulls. Then he said, screw him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what did he they do? He was tired and they would not that let him true. get up to bed. Five. They wouldn't wouldn't shut the yeah. fuck up. <laughs> it's just funny to me that literally nothing happened. He got yeah. He got some drinks and he went to bed and he's like, five. Mm-hmm. Five on the shiver scale. Well, I think as he was talking into his tape recorder, he was amending his passage for the book, making it sound scarier and scarier. So that was my question is like, he clearly doesn't believe in any of this. So what's in his books? Are they like saying that these rooms are incredibly haunted or are they saying, you know, this is bullshit? I feel like that's a very good question because (laughs) I always thought, I think that he's saying that they're they're haunted. Mm -hmm. I think that's what he's saying in the books. And I'll get into why I think that later. I have because I felt the same way, but then when we get to the next scene, I'm like, okay, well, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I was like, he he was just there. Nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Nothing we happened watched to you. you yeah. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you put your cap over your and head. Just, and yeah, to bed. Later, though, we see him arrive at a bookstore for a book signing, and I'll, I real quick, his hat says "Paranoia is total awareness," mm-hmm. and that is a take on a Charles Manson quote. I was wondering it's if like, it was a reference to yeah, something. Yeah, it's like he said perfect paranoia is perfect awareness or, I mean, don't quote me, something like that. But yeah. I was like, where have I heard that before? Charles Manson said a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so. That he did. Yeah. But he goes in to, I guess, kind of sign in that he's here and the clerk doesn't even recognize him as the featured author for the night. How embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> But the clerk finally gets on the intercom and announces it to all the customers in the store, revealing to us that Inslin is the author of books, like we said, where he stays in supposedly haunted locations. And he just kind of rattles off the titles like Like they're trash. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like 10 haunted hotels, 10, not careless. What's funny is that he's like, oh, yeah, I see the picture. (laughs) Yeah. like, never cool. mind, dude. Yeah. What made me laugh? He's like, that's a good shot. And he's like, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody listening even seems to care about the announcement. They're just continue no. shopping for their books. But when we see the actual book signing event, there's only like five people there. Yeah. So just to get this out of the way, and I know this is very unorthodox, but are you trying to tell me that the protagonist in a Stephen King story is a <laughs> is a writer? <laughs> I know this is difficult. <laughs> it's a little crazy, but stay focused. No, I'll, I'll try. I don't. No promises. 
But and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. A woman asked him, where's the scariest place he's ever been? Mm -hmm. And he kind of reluctantly rattles off a few places. But I don't think she would ask him that if he hadn't said that shit had happened to him. That's a very fair point. You know, so that's why I kind of think that he's like, oh, it's so, you know, I wrote that, too. I was like, he's lying because nothing happened. What do you but there, there is a moment towards like as the signing goes on, where he kind of is like, you know, I'm just gonna keep it real. Yeah, hold on. Okay. <laughs> I, I did have a critique about this scene in particular, though. Okay. As she's asking him about the scariest places he's ever been, which first of all, funny line, he's like, Yeah, oh, I've never never been asked that before, <laughs> and she doesn't understand the sarcasm. He's like, That's a joke. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen montages of these locations he's talking about. I totally agree because they just flash back to the hotel that he stayed at the night previous that we've already seen, mm-hmm. and that nothing happened in. But imagine him actually going to the harbor and he's just looking bored there, or he talks. <laughs> okay, he, yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, a, that's yeah, I a, see, I see. A good critique. He said something about a woman drowning her baby in a well in one place I would have loved to seen a shot from the bottom of the well up of him just like looking in just like (laughs) give me the fuck out of here you know yeah I would love that that would have been cool but when a man asks him if you know he's ever experienced poltergeist activity he mentions that he goes to every site with an EMF meter, a spectrometer, and an infrared camera, but he's never seen anything he also notes that ghosts are a convenient device for desperate hotels and he's not wrong. No. He's not wrong, but it's like never meet your heroes because <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Doesn't that invalidate all of his books? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But quick to end how uncomfortable things have gotten. He starts the actual book signing portion. <laughs> As he's signing a book for the woman who had asked him the question, the clerk comes over and asks where he can go to definitely see a ghost. And it's like you weren't listening to any no, of this. No, not at all. But Mike tells him the haunted mansion in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, got it. Okay. Yeah. He's like, I'm booking a trip tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but next in line is another woman, but she doesn't have one of his 10 haunted books. She has a novel called The Long Road Home that has an author photo of a young John Cusack <laughs> on the back. I think that was the say anything days. Right? <laughs> that, I, I wonder if that was like an old headshot or something. I, I'm I was sure like, that looks silly as fuck. <laughs> I was like, he looks super. But I'm glad they did that. Yeah. Because at least it. You all know my pet peeve of them photoshopping no, yeah. and it looking like shit. No, yeah. No, that was so, clearly a younger you. picture I'm, of Yeah, him. I'm glad they did that too because it would have been weird. It's like, you don't, he's been in the business so long. Just you find can, an old picture yeah. of him. Not hard. Yeah. But she starts telling him how much she loves this book and how inspirational and honest it is. And he's like, yeah, what's your name? <laughs> he's just, I don't know, disillusioned or... I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this book didn't do well. Right. She said she got it off eBay. It doesn't say it was cheap, but yeah. it was cheap. <laughs> well, he, she said there weren't many bidders. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe don't tell him that. But, yeah, didn't need to say that. <laughs> but he signs it, and she asks if he's ever going to write another one like this again, and he says no. She asks if the father-son relationship in the book is true because it feels so authentic, and again, he says no. <laughs> But he's clearly lying. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell. And this is a actual fan of your work. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Because she thanks him and then she takes her book and leaves. And it's like, you're going through a hard time, obviously. But like, she's going to carry that with her yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. The time she met Mike Inslin and he was kind of a dick. He could have said, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Or that's a story for another day or yeah. you know, anything. But no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Thanks for reading. And also, he was saying, stay scared. Yes. Which George Romero, yeah, that, that was, was his thing. shtick. 
And then you think about Creep Show. And so, you know, you have those it's cute. ties. Next time we see him, though, he's at the beach surfing. He looks up to see a plane advertising cheap auto insurance. <laughs> I was like, what the people do that? <laughs> I thought it was a wasted opportunity that they could have put something else more foreshadowing on that plane. No, cheap auto insurance. Okay. <laughs> That's not what the movie's about? No. Oh, okay. Um, but then he's blindsided by a wave. He's taken under the water, and the next time we see him, he's lying on the sand and coughing up water. I just got to be flat honest. I don't know how surfing makes sense scientifically. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just glad he was safe. (laughs) That would suck, though, because that kind of does look fun. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I have the balance for that. No, I definitely don't. But another surfer runs over to him and is like, are you okay, man? (laughs) (laughs) And he just keeps coughing. Next, we see him at the post office picking up his mail from a P.O. box. And he talks briefly with the employee who's like, I read your book, man. That shit was scary. (laughs) He's just like, cool, and leaves. You can just tell he's not (laughs) proud of this work at all. Because normally, if somebody was commenting on your writing from seeing your face, that's crazy. But he's just like, yeah, cool, whatever. Whatever, (laughs) bye. But... Later at a diner, he's sorting through his mail and he got like a birthday card. Yeah, and was something just, like, like he, that. He like throws it over his yeah. shoulder. <laughs> Damn, dude. Yeah. But- more, more character moments. <laughs> yeah. Right? He notices a postcard from the Dolphin Hotel in New York. On the back, the only thing written besides his address is don't enter 1408. But he grabs a pen and scribbles on the postcard that the digits 1408 add up to 13. I'm glad they got that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of it being like a, <gasps> oh, yeah. a revelation. Yeah. <laughs> Later at his apartment, he calls the Dolphin Hotel and immediately inquires about room 1408 before being put on hold. When a man answers the phone, he immediately states that room 1408 is unavailable. And he's like, I didn't even give you a date. <laughs> so he asks for Saturday, next Tuesday, next month, next summer, all of which are unavailable yeah then finally he just hangs up on mike (laughs) (laughs) he's like you're not getting it i was wondering if the dolphin hotel was named after the dauphine oh i didn't even i didn't even put that together because it's another haunted hotel Mm -hmm. that one's in new orleans but it's one of the most haunted hotels so i was like i wonder because where do you get the dolphin the dolphin hotel does not exist in real life and it's the Hotel Dolphin in the story. Why change it? I don't know. Because I kept I kept <laughs> writing Hotel Dolphin. And I was like, that's not what it's fucking called. <laughs> but the next thing we see is Mike looking through a microfiche. Why is that always so cool? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, at old news articles. And he stops on one that reads that a factory owner leapt to his death from a hotel window. The date on the paper is December 6, 1938. And he adds that date to his list of notes. Mm-hmm. So we jump to New York to Mike's agent, Sam, played by Tony Shalhoub. Hey, it's Monk. Yeah. It is yeah. Monk, yeah. Very small so role. And so he barely was, what, the this. jeweler in uh, Ben in Black? Hey, he'd grow <laughs> his head back. <laughs> but he receives a call from Mike, and he pulls a lawyer into the room, is like, keep his energy up, because he has a tendency to get morose, which made me laugh. Which I can, yes. <laughs> 100%, but... 
Sam answers the call with praise about Mike's first five chapters of the book, but Mike immediately asks about the room situation. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this lawyer dug up a federal civil rights law that says that if room 1408 is not occupied, they have to let him stay there. The lawyer advises that if the manager puts up a fight, they can just sue. I read on IMDb that the law is basically true. There's only one reason why they can't let him stay in the room, and it's if it's unsafe to stay in the room. Like I guess if like a a socket's just right (laughs) belching sparks everywhere. Look, this ceiling falls in all All the the time. time. (laughs) (laughs) And so it that's accurate. Hmm. But the lawyer leaves, and Sam takes Mike off speakerphone to talk to him privately. And he asks if Mike is sure that he wants to come here. Mike says that it's going to be a great way to close the book. But Sam doubles down. It's New York. And after everything that happened, is he sure he wants to put himself through that? So we're like, okay, mm. what happened? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a little expository. It is. I didn't really like the after all that happened. Yeah, I I thought that too. Because <laughs> Mike knows what happened. We both know what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's for me. But Mike says that he'll be fine. And Sam asks if he's going to call Lily. And Mike says, no, he's going to be in and out like a demon's whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Did he drink from the beer bottle weird? <laughs> a little. Yeah, it was a little. Dramatic. Uh, yeah. What was going on there? Because every, every single time I see somebody drink from a bottle in a movie, I'm like, do I not know how to drink <laughs> from a bottle? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm fucking up. <laughs> But the next thing we see is the Dolphin Hotel. Mm -hmm. Mike steps inside and it's beautiful and huge and judging by the clientele, very expensive. Yeah, it looks amazing. It does. From the onset. Interestingly, as I was watching this, it reminded me a lot of the Emily Morgan Hotel Uh in San Antonio. And I actually got to stay there. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, I wanted to look and see if they had a room 1408 and they don't. I wonder why. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, that's too much. Apparently they used to, according to their website, they had one, but there were too many like things. Right. Like stories. And so they combined 1408 and 1409 into a suite. And so there's room 1407 and room 1409. So is the logic here that just by taking the number off... Oh, it doesn't exist. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's honestly, it's the same thing we talk about with hotels because the floor. Yeah. The 14th floor is still the 13th floor. It doesn't mean Uh, anything. Fuck. Are we really here? Yeah. (laughs) Took our room number away. (laughs) But Mike walks up to the desk to check in. And when the clerk puts in his information, there's a note on the computer that says management needs to be alerted before she can check Mike into his room. (laughs) She's like, oh, please. (laughs) But she smiles and excuses herself over to the concierge who says that he'll take care of the situation and then he walks away. Wouldn't it make you uneasy to see like the word of your arrival? I feel like he knew. Oh, going yeah. From person to person. He that- literally got hung up on. He did. Yeah. And then had to threaten to sue to even get in. I'm sure he knew this is about to be some shit. He came prepared. He came prepared. <laughs> but while waiting, Mike notices a woman tending to a crying baby in like an old fashioned stroller. Mm-hmm. It's like some Rosemary's baby yeah. shit. Yeah. Or pram for our our British listeners. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but suddenly a bellhop just pops into frame and asks Mike if he can help him with his bag. Like, it's like oh shit. Right- <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? You're too close, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike is like, no. But manager of the Dolphin Hotel, Gerald Olin, played by the fucking man, Samuel L. Jackson, enters and introduces himself to Mike. 
Now, I mean, we can talk about the casting for a second. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In the story, Olin is a chubby white dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Who's like very unsure of himself until they get into his office. And then he's a little more assertive and sure of himself. Mm -hmm. So, a.k.a. The exact opposite. (laughs) Not Samuel L. Jackson. I think two things. One, Samuel L. Jackson said in an interview that what makes this because this chemistry is fantastic. Yes. Between the two of them. What makes it work so well is that he's very calm and measured. Mm -hmm. And then you have the contrast of Mike Inslin, who is just erratic and manic. (laughs) Manic. That's a perfect word. Yeah. But it just works. But the interesting thing about that, because the casting obviously, like you said, fits not at all with the short story. Right. I saw in a featurette that they were originally planning to stick closer to the short story with the casting. But unfortunately, I have to mention some horrible people. The script went to the Weinsteins. When their names pop up at the beginning, I'm like, ooh, that that hurts. No. Turn it off. But very close to the Weinsteins is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And so when the script somehow landed in Tarantino's lap, he read it, he loved it, and he was like, you know who'd be great for Olin? Samuel L. Jackson. And he's right. And he's right. And they were like, we never even would have... No, not not from the source material. You no. would never get to Samuel L. Jackson from that. No, but I I think he did a, a fantastic job. No, it's somehow that. I'm perfect. glad that they went with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for such, honestly, a small role. Yeah. He does amazing. No, oh, for sure. Now I'm just thinking, what if this was directed by Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> <laughs> if you rated R instead of PG-13, I'll tell <laughs> That's you that. For yeah. sure. I'm surprised this isn't rated feet. R. <laughs> but anyway olin offers to get mike reservations or tickets to a show or a game but mike's like no i just want my key (laughs) olin generously offers to upgrade him to the penthouse suite and mike is still not trying to hear it olin invites mike into his office real quick before you go on this scene i liked so so much this one we're about to talk about no no when they're talking in the lobby Uh the way the camera spins around them and it stops it feels kind of comic book like like uh, the little squares you see how it's progressing in the story Mm -hmm. and then when it's spinning it kind of feels like a standoff like a western standoff him and and like because it keeps turning and rotating around them but then it'll stop and and it'll be their faces talking and I was like that's fucking cool (laughs) and that's really what this is yeah I mean, if you get down to it, it's a standoff. When you look at this movie, there's actually a lot of really interesting camera work. Yeah. And that's definitely one of them. But once inside Olin's office, Mike asks if room 1408 is a smoking room and Olin confirms that it is. He offers a cigar to Mike, but Mike turns it down saying, oh, no, thanks. I don't smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And Olin scoffs at the cigarette parked behind Mike's ear, which (laughs) how does that look? He's like, wise guy, eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Mike explains that it's there in case nuclear war breaks out. He quit a long time ago, but he keeps it there out of habit and superstition because he's a writer. After confirming that Mike does drink, though, which was another funny little line. Oh, that's great. He's, he's like, like, of course I drink. I said I was a writer. Yeah. <laughs> It's that dry... Yeah. Like, John Cusack is great at that dry humor. (laughs) But Olin breaks out an $800 bottle of cognac named Le Cinquantcept de Se, meaning the 57 deaths Mm -hmm. in French. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Mike recognizes that this is a bribe and makes it clear that he's still going to stay in 1408. Olin asks him how long he's planning... 
Sorry, there was there's a very funny moment here because Olin's like, How long are you gonna stay? And Mike goes, How long? How long? It's like, why why are you so what mad? Is this? But and then he's like, Oh, a night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says he usually stays for the night. And Olin informs him that no one has lasted in the room longer than an hour. That's concerning. Yeah. But of course, Mike's not buying it. Olin tells him that he's only trying to help him. But Mike tells him that this whole song and dance doesn't matter because at the end of the day, he's going in that room and he's going to write his book and Olin's bookings are going to go up. So he turns on his tape recorder and sets it down to record the conversation, which is a little it's a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. But Olin, undeterred by the recorder, makes it clear that the hotel is always at capacity. Like, we don't need you. No, not at all. He isn't worried about the hotel or Mike, for that matter. He selfishly doesn't want Mike to check into 1408 because he doesn't want to clean up the mess. Okay, now my in- <laughs> you had my curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> now you have my attention. <laughs> he says he's a manager and not a coroner. And since he's managed the Dolphin Hotel, there have been four deaths. And after the last one, he stopped allowing guests to stay in 1408. Mike chimes in that the last one slid his wrists in the room and apparently castrated himself. And Olin details that there have been seven jumpers, four overdoses, five hangings. And Mike takes over speaking over him to report three mutilations and two strangulations. Then rude as fuck. Mike picks up his tape recorder and speaks directly into it, Mm -hmm. describing Olin's dry recitation of the bloody history of the of the room. So just to be clear, they haunted that guy's balls off, man? Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> they did. That's fucking Terrible crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean. just let me be a jumper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Olin finally sits and asks if Mike learned about the 22 natural deaths in room 1408. He's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? He did, I, he's not, he's he not did, heard of that it. That was funny. <laughs> His research was not thorough. <laughs> I've not been told. <laughs> All told, there have been 56 deaths in room 1408. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Pulling out a dossier on the room, Olin explains that there have been numerous methods of natural deaths, including the case of one man who drowned in his chicken soup. And that man's name, interestingly, is Grady. So obviously a reference to The Shining. Take a shot. Take a shot. (laughs) But also a man dying face down in his soup is a reference to the, the stand. stand. Yeah. So it's like you got a twofer. So mm-hmm. this is what I'm talking about with this Mike Flanagan style yeah. of references. You know what you're doing. Exactly. But Olin even offers Mike his dossier and access to his office so he can still write about the room as long as he just doesn't stay in 1408. Was there more stuff in his office or was he just like, it's real comfortable in here, man? <laughs> you can get a lot of writing done in here. He's trying to help him. He really. is. I feel yes. like that's what would make me like, oh, he he at yeah. least really believes this. I mean, it like you said, like, honestly, I would be interested. I'd be like, mm, yeah. so what's going on? But at the same time, it's like, you're really, really yeah. trying to get mm-hmm. me to not stay there. Even if this isn't real, you yeah, think it is real. Yeah, there's a reason. And I think that's another great thing they brought up on that featurette regarding the casting. If Samuel L. Jackson is saying, don't stay in that room, you're more inclined to be like, okay, there's something really wrong with that room. You don't stay in that room. (laughs) Like, I know he's kind of acting like it's the same old song and dance like he got at the other hotel, Mm -hmm. but this feels especially peculiar and unique. Well, yeah, because that couple in the other hotel was like, oh, and then she killed herself. And then she like they were real excited for him to be there. This dude is like, you don't want to fucking go up no, there. They're like, yeah. you want to see this photo we faked? <laughs> <laughs> 
but so who sent the postcard? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. There yeah. Are, I didn't well, even think about there's, that. There's theories, but we should probably talk about that later. Okay. But Mike mulls it over or pretends to. Mm-hmm. And Olin pours him a drink of that expensive cognac. When he likes it, Olin's like, keep the bottle. It's like, damn. <laughs> it's a bribe. It, oh, it is. And he knows it is. But <laughs> Mike puts it in his bag, finishes his drink, and he's like, I'm still staying. <laughs> Olin's like, damn it. <laughs> I thought that was funny. He, he, was. he had him. He was like, damn it. He's like, I'm going to give him a cognac. <laughs> and we're good. He should have been. But he gives him the dossier anyway, saying mm-hmm. that once he reads it, he's not going to want to stay there. See, and this would make me trust him. Yeah. You know. yeah. And Mike takes yeah. it greedy as fuck, though. He's oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> but as he's looking through the pictures, Olin tells the story of the first death in the room. A man who slit his own throat and then tragically tried to sew himself back together as he bled to death. He was a sewing machine salesman. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, it's what he knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got this. It's funny, though, because as he's saying uh, and he tried to sew his throat back together, Mike's like, easy, man. Well, he's, <laughs> he's like hovering over. He him. is. <laughs> but yeah, for the first time, Mike seems a little rattled. Olin tells him again not to stay there. 1404 has the same layout. He can take pictures there and no one would ever know. And Mike's like, my readers want the truth. It's like, stop. You're Your not readers, even giving them the yeah, truth. No. Oh, <laughs> but Olin reveals that he's read Mike's books and their cynicism written by a talented man who doesn't believe in anything or anyone but himself, which nails it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a... Uh, Jodie Foster, how about you flip that mirror or whatever? <laughs> Take a look at yourself. Yeah. Or maybe you're afraid to. <laughs> but Mike's like, this meeting is over. He is, yeah. He was about to leave. But yeah, the, I feel like he touched on something there. And he's close. like, I, I want to get upstairs. Mm-hmm. And Olin won't let him. He says he actually liked Mike's book, The Long Road Home. And that's kind of the line for Mike. Yeah. He's like, I got outbidded, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't willing to spend much. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> Finally fed up, Mike demands the key to the room. He says he can stay in room 1408 because ghosts do not exist. And also, going full cricket, there's no God to protect <laughs> us from him if there is. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, there's no... I don't know if there's ghosts or not, but I mean... <laughs> you backpedaled really fast. Well, well, I mean... <laughs> he's right. I don't know if he's uh, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? The whole time he's gone to all these places, he hasn't seen anything. What do you, what I do get, you expect, I though? understand the false sense of security, but, like, clearly this dude well, no, knows I know, something. But, I mean, he's probably like, ah, I'm, I'm not gonna... This ain't shit. Yeah, I mean, he's shaking his head like Shane Madej now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check back. Yeah. yeah. Might have a little Bugara <laughs> and I'm later. Popping up. I do think that this is played out a lot more contentious in the film than in the book. It is, but, I mean... Yeah. It works better. He's a different character in mm-hmm. the movie. And I like this yeah. interaction better because it makes it, the stakes are higher. And this is such a fantastic scene, mm-hmm. watching the two of them play off each mm-hmm. other. And again, like you said, they're in one office. It, it ju- It's just so good. But at this point, Olin finally accepts that he's not going to be able to talk Mike out of this. The next thing we see is him retrieving the key to room 1408. And when he gives it to Mike... Mike remarks that using an actual key is a nice touch because most hotels have moved to magnetic cards. And Olin's like, oh, we did, too. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get it twisted. Yeah. Electronics don't work in room 1408. Mike remarks to his recorder that Olin says the phantom in room 1408. And Olin's like, I I never said phantom. You knocked that off. He says that's not what's in room 1408. It's not anything like that. It's just an evil fucking room. 
Which I, I love that line. You better give Sam Jackson the F bomb. Yeah. You have to. You have to. <laughs> I feel like then hmm. when he said that, then I'd be like, maybe I yeah. fucked up. Because right? uh, 1404, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like that. Like we're saying, oh, ghosts or whatever. Yeah, he's like, it's I like, never like, said no, that. No, no, The room. And that's 10 times more frightening. Yes. No, yeah. For sure. But they get onto the elevator and Mike asks why they don't just close the room. Olin explains that the company just pretends there isn't a problem. Just like we said, hotels pretend there's no 13th floor. Mm -hmm. After saying that the room must be filthy, Olin corrects him. 1408 gets turned once a month. Two maids work together while Olin supervises them, and they treat the room like it's a chamber full of poison gas. They do not stay longer than 10 minutes, and they do not close the door. It's interesting because in the short story, the maids were twins. Yeah. Much like in The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't even. That's crazy. Yeah. But they don't mention it here for some reason. I didn't even put yeah. that together. But then Olin tells the story of a maid who was locked in the bathroom for a few minutes. And when they pulled her out, she was, Mike's like, dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's like checking his watch at this right. point. Uh, no, I get it. Dead. Yeah. She's dead. <laughs> and Olin corrects him. She was blind. She had taken a pair of scissors and gouged her eyes out while laughing hysterically. I'm like, come off it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that enough? Like, she doesn't have to be laughing, too. Well, in the book, that happens as well. And then another maid went blind when she was cleaning the room. And when he got her out, her sight returned once she got down the hall. She was blind, but she could see the most awful colors, is what she said. The, I'm telling you, man, that, no, uh, that book, it's that's, tough. It's fucking creepy. So it's like a deep red or. <laughs> <laughs> but the elevator stops and Mike gets off, but Olin stays on. This mm -hmm. is as close as he gets unless it's time to turn the room. Mike starts to turn away and Olin asks him again, please don't do this. The sincerity. Yeah. yeah. That's enough for me. Yeah. But Mike's like, oh, I'll call you about getting some tickets. Olin presses the button and he's like i'm not you're you're gonna do this anyway but then he gives like a knowing look he does that is a little eerie to me it is but i feel like it's like i, I remember yeah. i tried yeah. to warn you when that's, you're getting that's your ass I beat. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I I told it. you think of this face I, I fucking told you dude but mike walks down the hallway hearing noises inside the various rooms as he flips through olin's dossier we see various pictures of dead bodies and mike is so lost in this book that he has circled the hallway mm -hmm. and come back around to the elevator yeah and he walks into a chair and is startled <laughs> by the sound of the elevator door opening again so there's something very cool here and again it speaks to his love of stephen king mm -hmm. adaptations books everything mm -hmm. the song that's playing when the elevator opens is mozart it's eine kleine nach musik all right it means a little night music all right <laughs> but <laughs> it's the same song that plays in the father's day segment of creep show <laughs> so it's like very interesting i that love it they would do that yeah and for fans you hear it yeah and you're like why is that familiar and no yeah. literally you know that's, so that's really cool but another reference uh oh when he looks back down at the dossier we see a typed sentence under what looks like blood spatter mm -hmm. yeah my brother was eaten by wolves on the connecticut turnpike there's a rhythm to that sentence that is just <laughs> <That's> really horrifying. <laughs> <scary>. <laughs> but in the story 1408, uh, Mike's brother died of lung cancer, mm -hmm. which is why he quit smoking. Okay. And I say that I, <laughs> like I, I read it. it. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. But when he gets in the room, the last intelligible thing he says into the tape recorder is 
my brother was eaten by wolves on the Connecticut Turnpike. And he's like, why the, the fuck? fuck did I just say that? But doesn't he laugh it off? Well, yeah. I'm like, but you're it's crazy. Like, <laughs> there's something so creepy about, I don't know why it's creepy, but it's creepy. There's, I don't know. It's just a certain combination of words. Yeah. But it's a direct reference to the story without, you know, making it right. dialogue. In your, in your face. That's yeah. pretty yeah. cool. I thought it was cool. I did notice that a lot of his defense to Olin was stuff that he said to himself later in the room in the story. Yeah. Huh. Which is yeah. interesting as well. Yeah. I the elevator opening was that like uh this is your last chance? I honestly Ooh. didn't even think of that. I thought he was just fucking lost, you know. Cuz it or it, that it was a shining reference. Cuz it opens yes. and then when he walks away from it it closes. It's mm-hmm. like all right. Yeah, so it's like That's this it. was okay. it. Uh, That's actually much more no, terrifying. No, it's really good. Um But he closes the book and continues walking to his room. As he rounds the corner, he sees the woman with the old-fashioned stroller from downstairs wheeling her baby into their room, and they're right next door to him. He's like, great, I'm not sleeping tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But Mike finally reaches room 1408. We get this really cool shot of the mechanics from inside the door as Mm -hmm. he inserts the key and turns it. It makes the entry into the room way more dramatic. It does. Yeah. But it makes sense considering. But he slowly turns the knob and uses the dossier to push the door open and steps inside the darkness of room 1408. You hear there's like a muted like cacophony of sounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of The Shining. Yeah. Like well, they did the same thing. It like swells and Mike turns on the light and takes a look around and the the sounds are all Whoa, like it's all high. <laughs> and then the music just stops and Mike goes this is it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's just a very him way to yeah. enter this room. <laughs> but real quick in the story again, before Mike even enters the room, he looks at the door and it's crooked and he's like, Oh, what an introduction. Like, you know, yeah. and then he looks back and it's perfectly normal. There's something about that that I love. Yeah. That very easily could have been done. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like in the book, there's this moment of, Huh, because he gets nauseous looking at the mm-hmm. door. And I feel like they just didn't want Mike to give any give any ground yet. at all. Yeah. Which makes sense in the movie. Mm-hmm. In the short story, they're like, well, half the short story is Olin's office. And it the, is. The it other really half is. Really? Is in is the him room. getting in the room. Huh. So they're like, we got to get him to the room. Come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> but he closes the door and we get another shot of the number plate on it. Mm-hmm. 1408. Mike sets his equipment down and settles the cigarette into the ashtray before going into the bedroom area of the room. He speaks into his tape recorder that Olin won round one because he had him going for a minute, but this room is just a room. Later, we see him scrolling through the adult films on the TV before he's like, nah, and turns it off. He was like disappointed in himself for browsing. What are you, what are you doing, man? I need this. <laughs> you haven't even checked the whole room yet. No. First order of business, porn, and right. then we can go from there. Okay, ghost next. Yeah. Ghost. <laughs> There's a point whenever he's kind of downplaying the whole thing with Olin on into his tape recorder uh-huh. where he's like, no rivers of blood, no. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Elevator, perhaps? Yeah. But he tosses aside the room's Bible. <laughs> and then he goes to the bathroom and rips a piece of toilet paper to dab sweat off of his neck. He only ascertains that the room truly is evil after seeing that they charge $8 for beer nuts <laughs> in the mini bar. <laughs> he tries to change the thermostat because he's clearly hot, but it seems to be stuck. Later, sitting on the bed and speaking into his recorder, he surveys and comments on the unremarkable room. 
regular carpet except for a stain, a painting of a boat lost at sea, a painting of an old woman reading a book to children while a woman with a baby watches. <laughs> he says a group of deranged children. Yeah. <laughs> They're literally just there. I don't know. <laughs> It made me laugh. Yeah. But and then one more painting of the hunt, which I don't know if that's a real painting or not. I'm not sure either. I probably should have researched it for this. I Googled it and the only thing that came up was stuff about room 1408. <laughs> You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I did see there was a stain of water damage under the painting of the ship. Oh, that's so, interesting. That's yeah. awesome. But he doubles down on how unremarkable and boring the room is before smugly telling his tape recorder. It does have its charms. The, <laughs> the smuggest fucking face ever caught on film. I just love his performance so much. It's fantastic. <laughs> but he goes over to the window and remarks to the recorder how boring the view is. He just he cannot be pleased. As he's leaned out the window, the clock radio comes on loudly singing. We've only just begun by the carpenters. Dude. This is an amazing moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. The the room using music. Literally mm-hmm. saying, we've yeah. only just yeah. begun. Oh, you're don't, bored? Don't you're get bored? twisted. <laughs> just you wait. Right, he was trying to psych himself up and mm-hmm. just like, ah, oh, this is nothing. Oh. He was. Yeah. You'll wish you were watching yeah. porn. <laughs> but yeah, it's time to panic. Yes. It's like, oh. Yeah. Absolutely. But he jumps, startled, hitting his head on the window. He turns around to see that not only is the radio on... But the pillow he was just sitting against on the bed is neatly flattened with two mints on top of it. No. <laughs> Already. See, this. maybe this is why I can't have this job. No. <laughs> I can't be one of the ghoul boys. No. I'm like, Mr. Olin, <laughs> check you win. But he didn't hear the door open. He no. didn't hear nothing. No. He but didn't hear anything. No. He didn't hear nothing. nothing. <laughs> but he looks genuinely rattled and just mutters the congratulations to Olin into his tape recorder, which I feel like was more for him than anything else. Trying to calm those nerves. Yeah. But as he starts to eat one of the mints, he realizes that this must mean someone is in the room. He checks around and finds no one. But when he gets to the bathroom, he realizes that the toilet paper roll he had used earlier is now brand new and neatly folded at the end. Again, that would be it for me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it's a nice touch. It's yeah. like, nice yeah. touch. <laughs> it's fucking frightening. But he mutters that he finally has something to write about. A ghost that does turn down service. Ever the cynic. Stays smug. Yeah. yeah. He retraces his steps and concludes that whoever is behind this had time to run and hide in the living room area. The living room itself, as well as the armoire in it, are, of course, empty. He calls up to the vent in the ceiling, still (laughs) convinced that someone else is behind this. Mm -hmm. And he yells that they're going to have to do better than that. Now, visibly sweating, he removes his jacket and tries the thermostat again. When he can't get the AC to come on, he calls the front desk. (laughs) When he says, it's hot down here, Papa. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I was really confused. (laughs) When he identifies himself, the woman immediately is like, oh, are you ready to check out? Yeah. He's like, you had enough yet? Right. Those mints, right? But (laughs) Spooky. Oh, yeah. But he tells her that he's not. He just needs someone to come and fix the thermostat because the room is on fire. Interesting. Hmm. He seems surprised when she says she'll send someone up. He's like, oh, you will? I don't know why he was surprised. I think maybe he thought that they did it on purpose to sweat him out. I don't don't know. That's a very weak way to... He really feels like everyone's against him. That is true. But after he hangs up, he hears the baby fussing in the next room and the baby's mother humming to it. He picks up his recorder and muses into it. 
How many thin walls have they been through together? He says that hotel rooms are naturally creepy, citing how many people slept in that bed before you? How many of them were sick? How many of them lost their minds? How many of them died? Which, when they put 1408 in Everything's Eventual, Mm -hmm. that is directly from Stephen King's intro to the story. (laughs) He wrote that saying, you know, hotel rooms are fertile ground Mm -hmm. for for horror. I think the thing about that is it kind of makes this story kind of universal. Mm -hmm. Because now, every single time I stay in a hotel room, I think of this. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? And there is something innately creepy about a room that anybody and everybody could stay in. You literally don't know what happened in here. No. But he tells the recorder that they're there to get the story and they don't rattle. The next thing we see is Mike going over the room with a UV light, which I liked because he talked about having all this equipment Mm -hmm. and so far as scrolling porn (laughs) and getting scared by the radio. And using a tape recorder. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to me because they just as easily could have gotten through this information with him just looking at the photographs. Yeah. Yes. So they're like, this is an interesting way to get this point across Mm -hmm. that's visually entertaining. And it is. Every time he illuminates a stain, we see the image of the dead body that left it in like the snapshot moment. So cool. He puts away his equipment and turns on the light. But when he looks back into the living room, the painting of the boat is now severely crooked. Maybe that's their door. Maybe. Um, But he fixes it and sits down, now covered in sweat. I mean, this (laughs) motherfucker is sweaty. He tells the tape recorder that it's not that what he's seeing isn't real. It just ain't as real as it seems, which I thought was a really cool line. That is. And he heard the sound of the ocean waves and everything. Yeah. So it's already getting to him. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, he's looking up at the painting, listening to the sounds of wind and the waves, and then a knock at the door startles him. (laughs) When Mike goes to open the door, it almost doesn't open. Yes. But then it does. Like you were talking about last chance. Yeah. I feel like this was another moment. All right. I'm I'm about to fuck you up. Yeah. But it's just the maintenance man when he finally does get the door open, played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr., a.k.a. Senator Clay fucking Davis from The Wire. I was so surprised to see. It. It's such a small part. It, it. I felt the same thing about Tony Shalhoub. What are yeah. you doing here? <laughs> just these TV greats. No big deal. <laughs> it's so odd. But Mike tries to lead him over to the thermostat, but he will not cross the threshold into the room. And he makes his intentions very clear. He's like, come in to that room? Shit. <laughs> but yeah, he even asked, do you know what happened in here? He, he's, dude, I'm sorry. He's keeping it real. And I respect that because yeah. he's probably heard more stories than Olin told. Oh, yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. You know, so. And I like how real he is because like as someone who's worked in <laughs> customer service yeah. for my whole life, he's like, this building's so goddamn old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So straight up about it. I just love it. He's what we wish we could be. 100%. (laughs) But from the safety of the hallway, he walks Mike through how to get the AC to kick on. Absolutely thrilled when it works. Mike turns around to tip him, but he's fucking (laughs) gone. He fucking bounced. Yeah. Mike goes out into the hall just in time to see the maintenance man turning the corner. (laughs) I love that shot so much. <laughs> he fucking booked it, dude. In in any other movie, that guy would have been a ghost or something. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So I was glad that you see him you know, around in the like, corner. Mm-mm. Like, no, yeah. he exists and he wants no part <laughs> in this. <laughs> Alone again, Mike pours himself a drink of the cognac and sits down on the bed. 
Just as he tries to take a drink, the radio pops back on again, singing, we've only just begun again. Wouldn't it bother you that it's the same song? Oh, yeah. So this it's isn't the radio. Even, it's not even a new song. They're like, and welcome yeah. back to the we've only just begun <laughs> hour. It's like, no. <laughs> but Mike jumps and spills his drink. And this is when Ooh. it starts. He shuts the radio off, but the numbers on the clock start going crazy. As Mike watches, they rearrange themselves to form 60. And then they start counting down. He gets out his recorder and recalls Olin's words. No one lasts for more than an hour. So not only is this like one of the most subtly terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. It's also something that I don't think was in the short story. The countdown? No, no, not at all. So something that they came up with actually is improving upon Mm -hmm. the material they had, which is kind of rare. Yeah, it is. But he's still like. This is very effective. (laughs) (laughs) But motherfucker. I got to be honest. There has not been one thing yet that could not have been faked. Someone fucking with him. Yeah. So I understand. Suddenly there's a high pitched ringing that drowns out everything but the sound of his heartbeat. He leans back out the window to look down onto the street, but he turns back into the hotel room just in time for the window to slam down on one of his hands. So that's a little lowbrow compared to the clock. (laughs) (laughs) Take that. But the sound of the heartbeat, the shining. Yeah, for sure. Again. So he angrily runs into the bathroom to wash the blood off. And we see that it got him bad. Like he is injured. I love seeing him hit the shower curtain. Yeah. And then the blood sprays across it. Because first of all, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah. He's like, motherfucker. Yeah, that's fucking smart. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also smart because it's giving you more insight into his character yeah he's a hothead a little bit he is and i again i can't i really can't praise john cusack enough for this Mm -hmm. because i feel like he's so true to the character for the entire movie no matter what he's going through Mm -hmm. he just seems like a real person Mm -hmm. like i don't know he's just so good in this oh yeah i thought that was funny he was (laughs) flopping around everywhere but that's what you would do exactly you were mad yeah be pissed off and (laughs) throwing shit and cussing yeah Yeah. but as he's trying to wash his hand off the sink (laughs) again lowbrow suddenly (laughs) (laughs) turns on full blast with steaming hot water (laughs) it's like how about a little fire scarecrow (laughs) and just fucking it's like i thought the clock was good (laughs) it's just mean now you're just being rude (laughs) but he has to break the faucet to get it to turn off he goes back into the bedroom to wrap his hand and the radio comes on again We've only just begun. It's like my hand's already fucked up. This is the start. (laughs) This is where we're beginning. He unplugs the clock, but the countdown is still there. 56 minutes now. The phone rings and he answers it. (laughs) And the front desk tells him that there's going to be a delay with his sandwich. (laughs) When he says he didn't order one, she starts giving him options for his side. He finally tells her that he's hurt and he needs to check out. Now, who would sub fries for cottage cheese nobody (laughs) that's when we should have known that this is an evil room (laughs) (laughs) but she's like make sure you have your dry cleaning out by it's like uh, this is i just said i'm hurt but he finally yells at her calling her a bitch and an idiot (laughs) and telling her he needs a hospital when he finally threatens to sue her she asks if he would like to be put on with olin he's like yes (laughs) (laughs) he's left on hold before the line just hangs up (laughs) Jeez, mean at this hotel. I did like that he's actually like, no, I'm checking out. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm hurt. He's not being petty. Exactly. Yeah. To like say, you know, I have to prove to Olin. I that- said I was going to stay the yeah, night. No, no, it's like, yeah. I'm getting the fuck out of here. 
Yeah, but he says they win. He starts gathering up all his stuff and runs to the door, but he can't open it. He tries to unlock it with the key. The key breaks in the lock and the part that's still in the lock gets pulled through the other side. It's like it's you're like, not. <laughs> no. Things are getting bad really fast. <laughs> we yes. only just begun. Yeah. It's not, it's not just a song, my friend. No. <laughs> when he finally gets it unlocked, the doorknob just breaks off. It's like, dude, you're not fucking going anywhere. He bangs on it and kicks it, getting more blood on the door. He looks through the peephole. And was that his own eye? I couldn't. Because I know I was like, it was. Is that an eye looking at him? I think so, which is honestly the most frightening thing that I can oh think of. God. Yeah. Looking out of a peephole and seeing another eyeball. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, thank you. But with no other recourse, he goes back to the window and starts screaming for help. After what happened with my hand, windows are out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll, no. I'll yeah. find another way out. No. I don't. He notices a man sitting in his office in the building across the street. We're all nodding and shaking. Yeah. This is. It's wow. one of the best sequences. Yeah. But he gets his attention and screams for him to call the police. The man gets up and comes to the window, but then he just starts mirroring Mike's actions. Finally, genius, mm-hmm. Mike grabs a lamp and shines it in his own face, causing the man across the street to do the same. It is Mike. But like, it's not his reflection. It's Mike in business clothes yeah. with his yeah. hair slicked back. Like, But it's him. I <laughs> what do you do with that? Everything else could be explained away. This is when Shaniac turns into Bugara. Because <laughs> there's n- how the fuck do you explain yeah, that? No, that's they, they, fucking they, terrifying. I'd like okay, to get down pla- now. They, yeah, <laughs> they planted my twin across the way. It's you no. Know, this is a haunted evil room. Yeah, there's something horrible is happening <laughs> behind Office Mike. A crazy looking person with a hammer appears. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't- because they love this character, this I don't character. Know. Yeah, I have no idea. I literally have. And is this a former person that stayed in the room? I don't is know. This... And even in the book, I don't. There's no mention. No, no. <laughs> I don't know what this is. No explanation. But Mike looks behind him in 1408, and now that person is in his room, swinging at him with the hammer. He falls into the corner, but when he opens his eyes, no one's there. So what? He looks out the window and nobody's in that office either. I Okay, I like this scare a lot. Yeah. But I'd like some more information. About this hammer person? Yeah, Yeah. who who is this? Same. Did this person murder someone with a hammer in this room? Was this person murdered with a hammer in this room? (laughs) Like, I'd like, if it was in the files, you know? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Me, Me neither. I wish I could give you more. But Mike throws his lamp out the window only to see it wink out before it hits the ground below. He doesn't... Give that the reaction it deserves. <laughs> probably yeah. like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was dumb to me to think that would work. Huh? Inside the room, he hears a little girl's voice saying, I see you, daddy. As the voice continues to talk to him, he sinks down into the corner of the living room and gets out his recorder. But he tells himself, get a hold of yourself and gets back on his feet. He chalks it up to a fatigued mind and the power of suggestion. Come on, dude. Did He's, you see what I just yeah. saw? <laughs> He's trying, man. But he looks around for a logical explanation and notices something in the vent on the ceiling. Assuming it's a spy cam, he gets pissed off. He suddenly remembers that Olin is the one that gave him the cognac. He must have drugged him either with the alcohol or with the chocolate he ate. This is all just a hallucination and he needs to write it out. So there's still some Shaniac in there. There. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think his frantic, like manic energy sells Yes. All, all of oh, these moments yes. so well, because 
it's his ability to switch in and out of these emotions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, nobody else could have... I don't think... I can't think of anybody that I would have cast... Instead. Instead. Having seen him do this, there's nobody else that could have done it, I think. Didn't you say that you read this almost went to... Keanu Reeves, yeah. Oh. Which he seems to be the purest cinnamon roll of a human. Absolutely. <laughs> He's not the strongest actor. We, I'm just going to put... John wow. Paul looks like he wants to, wants to knock me out. but we, we, you're going to have to go. <laughs> <laughs> we got to have a talk. We love Keanu Reeves in this house. Yes. But he knows where the bastard sleeps. It's <laughs> not. He's not the strongest actor. I will agree. Keanu's the best. I'll never say that. <laughs> Just then, the TV in his room turns on. It is showing a whole movie with Mike, a woman, and a little girl. The woman is Lily, played by Mary McCormick, and the little girl is Katie, played by Jasmine Jessica Anthony. The tape is very happy and silly, and Mike begins to cry. As Katie puts her face up to the camera, Mike touches the TV screen. Katie looks concerned. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like she's looking at him. Yeah, yeah. she's looking through the, the camera TV. like, what's going on? And then it just cuts off. Their game was pretty cringe. But yeah. <laughs> you do stupid shit with kids, dude. You, you just have to. I wouldn't know. But <laughs> I think that it's an interesting wrinkle to add to this movie. Yeah. Because none of that stuff's in the short story. No, not at all. Period. Not at all. Mike immediately goes for the cognac, but then he puts it back down. <laughs> he hears crackling and turns around to see a black and white kind of staticky man walking to the open window. This is cool as shit. Yeah. I love the way they showed these like flashbacks or spirits or whatever right. the fuck they want to be. Again, it's another interesting choice. Yeah. Much like with the black light, they could have just been ghosts. Yeah. Right. Walking towards the door. I did think that it's funny to me because that's that shit's just commonplace to him now. There was no, yeah. oh shit. He was just like, yeah, I guess <laughs> that's right. what's yeah. happening. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but the man walks over to the open window, looks over at Mike and then just jumps out of it. He hears crying in the living room and looks over to see a staticky woman. She has color though. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Yeah. I guess that happened after the... Right. <laughs> this was later. Yeah. This was in the 60s. Right. <laughs> But she's sobbing as she walks toward the window in the living room. She jumps as well. And we hear her screaming as she goes down. Was the first guy the factory owner he read the story on? I think on? so. Yeah. I love it. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> but Mike hears the baby crying in the next room again and taps on the wall, asking the mother to help him. The baby's crying just gets louder until it's this repetitive screech. Did that remind you of the nightmare sequence in Max Payne? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right. Where you just want it to end, but <laughs> no, seriously. Can we wake up, please? It was <laughs> very reminiscent of that. I, I I know I sincerely doubt they played Max Payne and then were like, <laughs> like Let's do we're that. using that. But it was just reminiscent. But Mike throws a chair at the wall and the crying finally stops. He hears a man crying and sees steam coming out of the bathroom. We hear the man say, I wish I was dead. And then Mike goes into the bathroom. It is now much bigger than it was before, and it looks like a room in a hospital. There's a bathtub in the middle of the room and an old man in a wheelchair behind it. So this room ain't joking. They're no. yeah. changing the design of the room. I'm about to end this man's whole career. <laughs> <laughs> Adding wings and shit. 
you know, the crazy thing is this room never existed as far as the production goes. Uh-huh. It was all like angles and stuff. There were moments when it was on a gimbal and it's just the corner of a room. But the That's way crazy. the way that it's edited and shot, it seems yeah. cohesive. It's seamless. It's just incredible work. But the old man turns and asks Mike how he got here. We learn that the old man is Mike's dad, which I mean, obviously, that's what the long road home was about. Right. Mm-hmm. Him and his dad's right. relationship. And obviously, we're talking about the theatrical cut here. Yes. Because I think you get a little bit more of them in the director's cut. But we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but his dad waves him over and tells him, as you are, I was as I am. You will be. So they keep upping the ante on the scariest fucking thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Because <laughs> that's up there. But then he smiles at him. And then Mike backs away. And he's now just in the regular ass bathroom. So who hurt this room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that room. What are not you working planned. through? Like, why does it have to be so personal? Wife, kids. It's too much. Dad, it's, it's too like, much. Damn. Yeah. Later, Mike tells the tape recorder that maybe none of this is real. It might all just be a nightmare. He tries to remember the last time he slept and he can't. He can't even remember what he had eaten or how he even got to New York. Just then he sees that the wall in the bedroom has cracked and blood is seeping and running from it. It looked like coffee to me. I'm assuming it was blood. Yeah, I was like, is that oil? What the fuck is that? It's from the tanker on the wall. (laughs) He touches it, the blood getting on his fingers, and he asks if it's true that you can't die in your dreams. Whoever said that? Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) He leans back out the window, rationalizing that the shock would just wake him up and he wouldn't actually die. He goes back inside and consults the map on the wall. As the wall continues to bleed, he figures out that he needs to only walk 18 feet on the ledge outside to make it to his neighbor's window. As he climbs out the window, he makes a note into his recorder that if he slips and falls, it was an accident. The room did not win. Now, this little portion mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of Cat's Eye to me. Abs- the ledge, yeah. Yeah. That's all I was thinking about. Even the shots of him with the city behind him. Yes. You're yeah. like, this is Cat's Literally. Eye. <laughs> but Mike creeps <laughs> creeps along the side of the building. There's no fucking no, way. No, no. I'm just, no. I'm dying here. No. That's fine. <laughs> We're taking our chances inside. <laughs> Counting his steps and realizing that he should have reached the other window by now, he takes a look. There is no other window on the entire side of the building. Upstairs, downstairs. No. There's no more windows. That's bullshit. (laughs) Like, for real. Dude, the room is cheating. Yeah. There's... It's like, stop. Come on, dude. You found a loophole. (laughs) At least, like, "Mm -mm." play fair. Um, (laughs) But a horn honks, and he nearly falls. The camera pans out to show that the two windows connected to 1408 are the only windows on the building at all. Great visual. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's horrifying. And a full panic, Mike creeps back along the building to his window. I'd probably throw myself off. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Shit, I dude. mean, what can you do now? Well, I mean, I and go- I'll probably wink out like that lamp and just be back in the damn room. <laughs> <laughs> As he tries to climb back inside, the woman that we saw jump before swipes at him. Why? Well, I don't know, because yeah. she didn't do that before. <laughs> no. But he falls, barely catching himself on the ledge. He hangs there as we watch the woman climb up onto the window and jump again. But again, she winks out before hitting the street below. She does a flip. Yeah. She does. (laughs) 10 out of 10. A for effort. Mike climbs back up and makes it back into room 1408. As he hits the ground, the window just slams shut. Like, 
bitch you thought. Yeah. No more windows, though. No. Yeah, We're done. Uh-uh. <laughs> Fool me once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he looks back at the map on the wall, and the rest of the floor is completely black. The only thing on the map is room 1408 with a mocking note. You are here. <laughs> I love this so the much. The pettiness of yeah. this room. He's like, you thought you were smug. <laughs> Check this shit out. <laughs> you just met your match. He looks out the peephole and sees a brick wall. It's like, this can't yeah. get any worse. Uh, well, I miss my old friend, the eyeball, at yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the lights dim. The living room window opens onto a brick wall now with the words, burn me alive, scratched into one of the bricks. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder the story behind that. Who put that there? Yeah. yeah. The room's not fucking given pointers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's uh, Chris Kattan from House on Haunted Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Bridget, you genius. (laughs) But the window in the bedroom just no longer exists. It's just not there anymore. It's just wall. Mike rewinds his tape recorder to hear himself note, strangely, the bedroom has no window. (laughs) I did not say say that. that. (laughs) He throws the recorder but pulls himself together as he hears a woman speaking in the other room. When he looks in, the living room is now a doctor's office and he and Lily are sitting inside devastated by an apparent diagnosis. The camera pans over to show Katie in a hospital bed. Mike, now in room 1408, whispers her name and she looks up, but then the lights go completely out. It's just black. Mm -hmm. As Mike fumbles blindly in the dark, we hear Katie calling out to him for help. He gets the lights back on and the crazy person with the hammer is there for a second and then they're gone. Dude, I'm like, oh my God, get the fuck (laughs) out of here. (laughs) Like, Who are you? I'm so confused. But the room is now 45 degrees. It worked a little too well, I guess. Yeah, He tapped a little too hard. Yeah. Mike sees that his phone has no signal and takes out his laptop. He's able to video call Lily. Now, I've seen some criticism that his laptop shouldn't have been able to work. Right. I think it's pretty obvious the room wanted his laptop to work. Well, fucking ghosts shouldn't be able to jump out of windows either. But But here we are. Here we are, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But Lily says it's like seeing a ghost because they haven't talked in a year. She tries to get off the call because she's at work, but he stops her. He tells her that he's trapped. She answers a work call and starts to walk away, but he begs her to call the police. He finally tells her that he's at the Dolphin Hotel here in New York and to send the police. I understand that he needs to have this conversation with his wife, but I feel like it would have made more sense for him to call his agent. Yeah. Because his agent knows all this already. He he doesn't have to waste time explaining, okay, I'm in New York. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) I guess that's true, but in my mind, it's like, once you've been married for whatever, like that's your person that you think of when you need help. I do not know this. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like even if they're separated or whatever, he's probably like as a default, Lily, no, Lily will take yeah, care of it. Or, I, okay. you know. That's fair. <laughs> I do not know this. <laughs> but she, t- she takes this opportunity, and I do not blame her, to chastise him for walking out on her and only calling now when he needs something. Which she has a valid point, but right. he asked her to call the police. Yeah. He's not he like, you got 50 bucks. Yeah. Like this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a small need. No, yeah. but he tells her that something's trying to kill him and suddenly the ceiling sprinklers go off and the call disconnects. He's not happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh. not at all. He breaks the sprinkler, making it stop, which I guess is just his solution for unwanted yeah. water. <laughs> he already he broke the, the sink. He did the same thing with the sink. Man, he's going to owe so much to Olin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But he notices the ceiling vent again and unscrews it. <laughs> it's funny the way he like hits it and then kind of hides. Yeah. <laughs> it is hilarious. It, it reminded me of like a caveman trying to discover yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> Very cautious. It's, it's, he's just so great mm-hmm. in every moment. But arming himself with a knife and a flashlight, he climbs up into the vent. After batting away roaches, he crawls to the vent over his neighbor's room. He knocks on it and calls to her as we see her walking around trying to soothe the baby. He's like, lady, I'm coming in. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, make way for Willie. Yeah. <laughs> that just made me laugh so hard. Look out, I'm coming through. He's like, I am busting through. <laughs> But he hears his own voice inside that room saying he's going out for cigarettes. Just then, the woman looks up at the ceiling vent and we see that it's Lily holding a baby Katie. That angle is haunting. Yeah. Of her just being like, it's me. Yeah. (laughs) No surprise, bitch. (laughs) But he crawls through the seemingly endless vents calling for help. But suddenly, a bald and... spectacled mummy type person comes yeah. after him now this took me a while dr satan no <laughs> <laughs> it's the sewing machine salesman oh no, okay <laughs> so they're reincorporating all these stories i'm like who the huh. fuck are you because yeah. i was like is that a literal monster in the fucking vent <laughs> <laughs> why would they leave a monster in the vent <laughs> i i get you're trying to get out but if the window didn't work why would you jump up there he tried it man i know he tried but... it you already saw the map right. you are here fuck that yeah. you're in a tight space yeah, you know, you don't want to. Yeah, wanna... that's even worse. And there were roaches. Yeah. And... No, I'd see that Fuck and be like, roaches. I'll Never take mind. the room. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> yeah, I'll just die down here. Thanks. But he's coming after him, dragging his legs behind him, which looks effectively creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He grabs Mike's leg and Mike kicks him in the face, knocking his jaw off. <laughs> <laughs> he's not having it. Not at all. He finally falls through the ceiling again, back into room 1408. In one of the best parts, <laughs> Best parts of the whole film. <laughs> Mike goes over to the mini fridge to get alcohol. But when he opens it, he sees Olin sitting inside his office. Olin asks him what he was doing seeking out this room. He destroys people's hopes and spirits because while disproving ghosts, he disproves their belief in the afterlife, which kind of throws a kink in our. He writes that rooms are haunted because. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, why would anyone be into his books? I don't know. Yeah, if he's just, this and, is bullshit. That's why also would, bullshit. Yeah, why would that woman be like, what's the scariest place you yeah. stay? He's like fucking nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But Mike starts yelling at Olin, asking what he wants from him, <laughs> attacking the fridge. <laughs> we pan out and see that he is really just yelling at and attacking snacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the tough guy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was cruel for them to show him doing that. Yeah. yeah. Like just for the record. We knew what he was doing. Exactly. Yeah. But he slams the door and yells at it. I want my drink. It's so good. It so really good. Is. With that done, he goes back to drinking the cognac. He's like, if I'm drugged, I'm drugged. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. He takes his drink and sits on the floor to look through the Bible. And I feel I find this so creepy. Mm hmm. When he opens the Bible, all the pages are blank. Yeah. Yeah. There is something so disturbing about that. Well, he said there was no God, and then the Bible's blank. I'd start testing other powers they might have. <laughs> the door is unlocked. <laughs> you See know? what happens. Shit. But the room's like, bet. Yeah. Like, okay. Oh, I thought you said. <laughs> <laughs> he starts tearing the pages out, and then another memory starts playing out in front of him. 
sitting in a bed, Katie asks if there are other people where she's going. Mike dismisses this. She's not going anywhere. But when Katie's like, everyone dies, daddy, which, ugh. That's a lot. Lily reiterates that everybody dies, but they die when they're old. And they go to a beautiful place and all her friends are going to be there. Katie asks if God is there and Mike says yes. And even Katie's like, do you really believe that? And I was surprised that he said yes. Yeah, I Something tells me at one time he did. That's a fair point. Yeah, That's and a then, fair point. But it cuts to Katie's nightgown folded up on her bed. Lily is sobbing and Mike is yelling that they should have done more. They should have helped her fight instead of filling her head with stories of heaven. And this dude is fucking, I mean, of course, he's upset. He's pissed off. He's screaming. He's flipping the table. Uh-huh. And then he goes, I'm gonna go get some cigarettes, okay? <laughs> and we see him leave the room. Well, but you don't see his mouth say it. No, yeah. you just see him leaving the room. But he said, he's like, rah, I'm gonna go get some cigarettes. Like, it's so fucking calm and chill. It makes me laugh every time. And it's such a horrible, sad scene. But that makes me laugh every time I watch it. It's just bad editing. That's the only, I mean. I'm gonna go get some cigarettes, okay? Yeah. Like, it's But he says like, it lovingly. Yeah. Like, do you need anything? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Didn't you just flip the coffee table? We couldn't get another take of that? (laughs) (laughs) Or just have him leave without saying anything. (laughs) You really didn't. You don't need. We know that he left her high and dry. We know that from the laptop conversation. Right, yeah. You didn't need to do that. (laughs) Now in room 1408, the fax starts ringing. When Mike goes to it, it's Katie's fucking nightgown coming out of the fax machine. Here's the room being a dick again. It's so fucking mean. (laughs) It's unnecessary. But he cleans it in the sink. And when he realizes he can see his own breath, he goes back to the living room. Everything is covered in frost and there's snow on the carpet. The thermostat says that it's below zero. The room's like, oh, were you warm? (laughs) (laughs) Were you hot? It's on fire, huh? (laughs) When we see Mike again, he's sitting on the floor drinking the cognac and burning the files from the dossier to keep warm. He shivers as he rambles into his tape recorder talking about the circles of hell. Yeah. As he finally concedes that he may be in hell, Lily's voice starts coming from his laptop. I didn't see him put that thing in some rice. No. <laughs> <laughs> the deleted scene? or That's in the director's cut. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. She says that she called the cops and they're at the Dolphin Hotel. They're in room 1408 and the room is empty. I. This is a lot. One thing, yeah. one thing I will say is it made me laugh when he was talking into his tape recorder. He goes, I'm afraid I can't express myself in this, this climate. climate? Yeah. <laughs> that's a great I love line. That. But Mike's like, I'm going to die here. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. She tells him that she can be there in 15 minutes. He looks back at the countdown clock, which reads 14 minutes. Great. He tells her that that's not enough time and to just not come. Out of nowhere... <laughs> The screen in the corner is taken over by another version of him telling Lily, yes, come now. <laughs> What's funny is when he's talking to her, her attitude changes immediately. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's saying what she wants to hear. Yeah. He's like, I know we haven't talked much, but we, we can work that. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. but he tells her he needs her. Come straight to room 1408. Don't even talk to anybody. Just come upstairs. And meanwhile, the actual Mike is screaming at himself yeah. to shut up. Yeah. But Lily agrees to come and hangs up. Imposter Mike smiles at Mike. <laughs> That's just insult to injury, man. Holy shit. But the room begins to shake and break apart out of nowhere. It begins raining inside the room and the paintings are all horrifying versions of the original. I love this so yes. much. 
And the one with the woman reading to the children previously, mm-hmm. the children are all staring at the woman with the baby terrified as she tries to breastfeed the infant who appears to be dead. Mm-hmm. That's the scariest one yeah. to me. Yeah, I would agree. The ship painting shows the boat being thrown around in a storm and the crazy person with the <laughs> hammer is standing in the boat. Yeah. It's like, I didn't know you the first mate. What the fuck? Is that your backstory? <laughs> <laughs> the animals have all gone crazy in the hunt. It's it's a mess. Yeah. In the story at this point, there's a painting of a woman like on a staircase. Mm-hmm. When it starts going crazy, she runs up the stairs, which like Nosferatu. Thinking about yeah. that I don't know why scary. that's the cuz they said like an old-time vampire or yes. something and I'm yeah. like, well, <laughs> I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> but Mike drinks the cognac again. <laughs> <laughs> I I was, I was like, why did he pour it on his head? I don't I like, know. What the fuck happened? I was so confused I by thought, that. <laughs> that was very odd, but he does. As the ship painting begins to move and the men from the painting are just screaming. Yeah. Mike goes to hit the painting with a piece of wood. Yeah. <laughs> he always hated that painting. <laughs> well, he was talking shit earlier. I mean, he yeah. was. But just before he hits it, water explodes from it, which is looks fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. The room quickly floods and he is now stranded in the middle of it. He sinks down deeper and deeper into the water. He sees light above him and swims back up and we see a surfboard fall into the water. And when the camera comes back up, we're at the beach in California. We see Mike back on the beach coughing up water. A plane overhead advertising cheap auto insurance goes by, but the phone number on it is one low fee 1408. So we finally get a little bit of a payoff. Yeah. yeah. The same surfer runs over and is like, are you okay, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I would think whenever I was going down into that whirlpool in the room, mm-hmm. I would think I was drowning in a bowl of soup. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it'd be really nice to be like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> the next time we see Mike, he's waking up in a hospital. Lily is there. He sits up and immediately asks if he's out. She tells him to relax. He assumes he's in New York, but Lily's like, you're in L.A. He was hit on the head with his board and the hospital notified her as next of kin. He keeps repeating that he's out and finally explains that he was trapped in a hotel room in New York City. He tells her that they spoke and she's like, that never happened. She's never even heard of the Dolphin Hotel. So wouldn't this make you a little suspicious considering they haven't spoken in forever and she's just here? Yeah. How long was I out? Yeah. Yeah. Just swallowed a little bit of water. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Doctor says you're supposed to do that a lot. Right? <laughs> a lot of water. Yeah. But they go back to the beach together to get his ticketed car. So it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. And he's dressed like a roadie from the Dave <laughs> Matthews band. <laughs> yeah. That hat looks a little small. <laughs> I don't, I don't I know like what's going on. That's his style. That's uh, his aesthetic. But before they leave, they stop to look at the water and Lily finally asks him why he left. He tells her that every time he looked at her, he saw Katie's face. Just really fucking sad. Mm -hmm. Also, I do want to mention that Kate Walsh was supposed to be Lily, Mm -hmm. but I guess scheduling shit or whatever. And so Mary McCormick had to fill in and was very pregnant during this. And so you can tell they only film her from like the shoulders (laughs) up. Like that's it. And it like once you know, you're like, oh, of course, (laughs) every shot you're like, okay, that makes sense. She's got a grocery bag in front of her. And (laughs) now I love Kate Walsh, though, in uh, Fargo. Oh, Uh, my God. She's so funny in that. I think she would have been great in this. Yeah, I agree. But the next time we see them, they're at a restaurant. 
Lily tells him that the room was his own subconscious mind and that it's good for him, but he tells her he can't shake it. He might need to be checked into a psych ward. I, yeah. Yeah, some yeah. shit happened. That was there. a lot of... <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> After establishing that they both can't believe they're actually sitting here together, Mike notices the woman that jumped out of the window in the hotel room walking by, but when he looks again, it's just a similarly dressed server. Now, this is... Misery. Like, this is 100% uh, yeah. um, a literal moment f- that happens in misery. That is so true. I would have said something to that waitress, though. I'd be like, excuse, excuse me. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have faked like I needed a refill just to check, just to be sure. But he finally tells her that Katie was there in the room. Lily's like, yeah, I see her every night when I close my eyes. And Mike's like, listen, <laughs> yeah, bitch. Nah. Dude. He's like, yeah, no, mine was better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he was very belittling to, yeah. to what she had to say. But. Like, yeah, that's great. But. <laughs> <laughs> but Lily tells him that maybe he should write about Katie because he finally seems ready to deal with what happened. He asks her if she can stay. And after a long pause, she apologizes. Why would you even come no. here? Yeah. Maybe. She, I don't know. She was worried. I don't know. The hospital called her. Go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was mean. <laughs> Back on the microfiche in the library, Mike again finds the article of the man who leapt to his death from 1408's window, but now the headline reads, Factory Owner Leaps from Bridge. Bullshit. Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> I fucking swear to God. Like, nope. Mm-mm. Yeah, mm-mm. I looks, know what I read. Yeah. <laughs> he looks at his pad of notes that he had with him that day, and the book is completely empty. Back at his apartment, Mike is writing on his laptop describing how 1408 was a horrible dream, but it renewed him. He made lemonade. <laughs> out of lemons that's all we can hope to do next time we see mike he's at the post office with a toothpick sticking out of his mouth telling the clerk that he needs to overnight i'm assuming his manuscript to the agent yeah Mm -hmm. but when the clerk turns around we see that he's the bellhop that asked to take mike's bag at the dolphin yeah not good no there are men painting the post office and they turn toward him. One of them immediately I recognized as the concierge from the dolphin. Yes. The bellhop grabs a bat and smashes the glass between him and Mike. This is the most. Un- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you liked my books. <laughs> but did you see that the clock behind him said 456? Holy shit. Yeah. No, I did not. The working men start breaking the walls of the post office, revealing the brick from room 1408 with burn me alive still scratched into it. Did he need to take the clock off the wall and throw it on the floor? <laughs> no, he's like, fuck <laughs> this <laughs> clock. Remember that kids in the hall where they were like, get it. And they started punching the clock. <laughs> they pull up the tile to reveal the hotel carpet underneath. More and more, they destroy the post office and it turns back into room 1408. The camera is whirling around Mike as the men continue to tear up the building. Finally, the whirling stops and he is back in the dirty and seemingly charred room of 1408 no hyperbole this is one of the greatest fake outs in the history i completely agree i've seen people say that it went on too long and i felt like it needed because you had to believe it oh he's out like you are like that no yeah (laughs) he wrote a fucking manuscript he's been out he's been in different outfits (laughs) and different hats yeah so, I mean, it's effective. It's literally crazy. Watching it this time, though, obviously, you're only fooled the first time. Mm-hmm. Watching it this time, they tell you. Oh, yeah. At the hospital, when Lily goes to visit him, mm-hmm. somebody pages Dr. Edwards to oncology. 
when he flashed back to Katie being in the hospital, that's what you hear. Dr. Edwards to oncology. Oh. So if so, you're paying attention, oh, it's, oh. He's in his own head. It's yeah. so fucking good. It's so good. The room is so goddamn petty. It's just yeah. mean. <laughs> But Mike takes a moment to realize that he is indeed back. He takes the toothpick out of his mouth that he had in the post office and looks at it in wonder. Finally, it sinks in and he begins to scream, I was out, which I use in everyday conversation a lot. (laughs) Tears in his eyes, he turns around to see a door standing freely in the middle of the room, which I took to be a Dark Tower reference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He knocks and then finally whispers, open it see and then it did open it's like you're right. <laughs> with that bible you should have just it's tried the, it the power of positivity exactly but, and when it opens the knob turns which i yeah. I, don't, I don't appreciate <laughs> you were personally offended by. i was but it reveals absolutely nothing but an impossible yawning blackness on the other side and we hear the preacher that was on the radio at the beginning of the movie. So is that, to me, that's the room saying, there's nothing left. I, I think so, too. Or there's nothing on After, the other yeah, side. Yeah. yeah. We hear a little girl's laughter as the camera races through the darkness to get to Mike. We see from behind him as he's affected by whatever rushed toward him, mm-hmm. right? Is that an Evil Dead reference? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And But we see that the door is no longer there at all. Right. We hear Katie's voice call to him, and he turns around cautiously to see her standing on the other side of the room. Meanest fucking thing that the room yeah. does. I'm going to say, move over, Ric Flair. Room 1408 is the dirtiest <laughs> player in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no chill like, no. at all. No. None. She crosses over to him with bare feet crunching on the glass all over the ground. She tells him that she's cold and he drops to his knees in disbelief. She tells him that she loves him and asks if he still loves her. And he tells her, of course, and opens his arms to like to hold her. Mm-hmm. And we see that blood is coming out of his nose and one of his ears. Well, the room said he's going to fuck him up. So he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lived up to it. She goes over to him and he cries as he hugs her. She tells him that they won't let her stay, but he says they will. I'm like, who the fuck Who is, is there? Yeah. He says no one's going to take her from him again. She tells him that she wishes the three of them could be together. And sobbing, Mike tells her that they can. Suddenly, she goes limp in his arms. Absolutely terrible. Yes. Is this actually her spirit? I think so. Because that's what I I believed that. And I think that it was taking the vessel of her own form. Mm-hmm. And then she got swiped away and it just left the vessel. Oh, my God. Because she said it wasn't going to let her stay. Right. Yeah. Ugh. That's awful. But he looks down at her and she's dead. He sobs saying, you can't take her twice. He holds her to him crying. And the radio starts again playing the same song. Just as the music starts, Katie's body fucking disintegrates into ash and dust. Mm -hmm. He tries to put her back together. Yeah, that. But it just creates more ash. Yeah. Which honestly, I mean, that's kind of a powerful metaphor. Yeah, it is. Like, God damn, this movie's deep. Yeah. (laughs) But Mike looks up from the cloud of dust to see light coming in from a crack in the wall. He proceeds to then trash the hotel like a fucking rock star. (laughs) (laughs) He's done. Now, the sunlight, this orange light, is much more of a thing in the short story. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is them, again, hinting at things. Nodding to it, yeah. yeah. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. But as he smashes and throws everything in sight, we see the radio still counting down and it's at 30 seconds. 
Mike falls to the floor and the distorted singing on the radio continues. The clock finally counts down to zero. As it does, Mike looks around and both he and the room are exactly how they were before the countdown started. The room is clean and new. He's wearing his Hawaiian shirt. He's all fucking clean. His hands not hurt. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So at this point, legitimately, I was like, okay, the room's like, look, you're an amazing adversary. (laughs) You survived the hour. I'm going to let you go. That's what I thought. Well, he looks over at the clock and the countdown goes back to 60 minutes. You motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The phone rings. There's this tracking shot through the room and we see that everything is clean and new just as it had been. As, again, a steady cam shot floating through a hotel room. Yeah. The Shining. Yeah. Take a shot. <laughs> Mike sits looking out the window and finally answers the phone asking why it doesn't just kill him. And he's like so calm and defeated. He's yeah. like not yeah. mad anymore. The woman's voice calmly explains because guests all have their own free will. He can choose to relive this hour over and over, or he can take advantage of the express checkout system. That's a very nice bow on what she means. I want to know who, did Sterling Cooper come up with that? (laughs) It's toasted. (laughs) Mike walks into the bedroom to see a noose hanging from the ceiling waiting for him. Now this is just super liminal. Yeah, Yeah. let him choose. (laughs) Jeez. He flashes back to the photos of all the hanging victims from the dossier. And it's like, oh. Okay. And it the, in that moment, I was like, well, what the fuck did they go through for an hour? Yeah. yeah. All yeah. these people. Because well, this is obviously a very personal experience. Yeah. They don't know who Katie is. No. <laughs> but he grabs the cognac and sees another noose in the bathroom. They're like, come on, dude. No, yeah. yeah. You're not escaping this. No. His reflection in the mirror disappears. Cool. He's a vampire now. <laughs> that was his prize for staying the whole hour now you get to be a vampire (laughs) the room was impressed he looks back at the bed and it has been replaced with two headstones one for katie that's filled in and one for him open and waiting now did this remind you of it yeah dude yes again over and over i love it in the mirror he sees himself hanging from a bed sheet (laughs) (laughs) They're like, in case you didn't put it together, yeah. this is what yeah. you should be doing. This plus you equals. <laughs> <laughs> he picks up the phone again, and the woman asks if he's ready to check out. He tells her again calmly, no, not your way, and hangs up the phone. It immediately rings again to tell him that Lily will be there in five minutes, and they're going to send her right up. Mike says that Lily is not involved, and it can't have her. He starts to hang up, but the voice distorts and tells him, five. This is five. Ignore the siren. Even if you leave this room, you can never leave this room. Holy shit. (laughs) Amazing line. And this is directly from the story. Mm -hmm. And he never got out in the short story, but he lived that. He left the room, but he never left the room. Yeah. So it's driving that point home that we saw that happen. Yeah. So they're fucking telling the truth. (sighs) Oh, my God. He drops the phone on the table and it begins to melt. And it yeah. looks cool oh, yeah. as shit. It doesn't stop talking, though. Eight. This is eight. We've killed your friends. Every friend is now dead. Every and- friend? <laughs> God damn. Man. Yeah. Also. <laughs> <laughs> you were busy. <laughs> also, five plus eight is 13. Oh, shit. Oh. Fair point. Um. But when Mike looks down at the phone again, it's completely normal and it's hung up in the cradle. He puts on his coat and pours himself a drink. 
He uses his handkerchief to make a Molotov cocktail out of the cognac bottle. We hear his voice say that he has lived a life of a selfish man, but he doesn't have to die that way. And if he's going down, he's taking the room with him. Admirable. Oh, yeah. He says this room may not be real and he may not even be real, but this fire is. He lights the Molotov and throws it into the bedroom, yelling at the room to go to hell. (laughs) In the hallway, the fire alarm begins to scream. Mike calmly sits down and lights his in case of emergency cigarette. He sits back in his chair and smokes, watching the fire spread. If there was ever an emergency. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he said in case nuclear war breaks out. This, this is, is as worse. close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Panicked guests flood the lobby of the hotel. Outside in a cab, Lily pays her driver when he's unable to keep going. He's like, something must have happened. I don't yeah. know, lady. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. She's like, what's that? He's like, I don't yeah. fucking, fucking. I'm here I'm with a, you. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she continues to the Dolphin Hotel on foot. Back in room 1408, Mike continues to smoke as the room sounds like it's howling. Mm-hmm. He tells it to keep quiet. He's like, I'm the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. Outside, Lily tells an officer that her husband is upstairs in room 1408 and he needs help. In room 1408, the sprinkler comes on in vain as the room continues to moan. Mike tells the room it's just wasting its time. He stubs out his cigarette and picks up his tape recorder. We're here to do the job, he says, and we don't rattle. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love a good reincorporated. Yeah. He continues to describe room 1408 as if he were writing about it in his book. He gives the Dolphin Hotel 10 skulls <laughs> <laughs> and it earned every one of them <laughs> before flinging an ashtray into the window. The fire explodes and Mike is knocked down. He's like, 10 skulls. Uh, that's one way to get somebody's attention. And yeah, it's it is. True. Outside, Lily looks up to see the fire exploding out of the windows of room 1408. Inside, the paintings on the walls melt and the room continues to be swallowed by the flames. Coughing as he crawls on the floor, Mike laughs crazily, telling the room never to kill more than it can eat. Fucking terrifying. Oh my God, man. You know, I looked that up because I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. And all I found was stuff about, I guess there's a lot of rumors that wolves kill more than they can eat, but they don't do that. Wolves on the Connecticut Turnpike? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. As the room continues to burn, he hears Katie's voice telling him, Daddy, everyone dies. And this brings fresh, crazed laughter from Mm -hmm. him. Stephen King, I feel like that's a recurring theme when people are scared out of their minds or losing their minds. They just laugh Mm -hmm. crazy. And it gets me every time. (laughs) Hey, well, that's what that maid did. Yeah. After she gouged her eyes out. Oh, yeah. It does not get less effective. No, she loved that joke. And in the story, (laughs) (laughs) and in the story, Olin even says, I don't understand how someone laughing hysterically is worse than someone crying hysterically. And it is. But it fucking is. Um, But finally, two firefighters break the door down and pull Mike into the hallway. He pulls one of the firemen down to him and tells him to not go in that room. When the fireman's like, I don't know what this guy's saying. (laughs) It's like, what did he say? Let's go in that room. I think he said, go inside. Mike doubles down. It's evil. We see the number plate of room 1408 melt. Great shot. Yeah. Now in the story, he lights himself on fire. Mm-hmm. Accidentally. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> and uh, he, they make a comment about the room not liking cooked meat. Which is Whew. equally what? terrifying. Yeah. And he's saved by some dude who was going to the ice machine. He throws ice on him. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Though it is interesting because he tells that guy not to go into 1408 because it's haunted. It's haunted. Yeah. Evil is a much better line. Yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. But, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but we flash to Olin. 
sitting in a chair. Now, is this his office? Yes. Because the hotel's right. on fire, but... Well, just that floor. Sitting- <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting in his chair drinking his expensive cognac, and he says, well done, Mr. Inslin. Well done. Did you do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> <laughs> I want to make it clear that I feel like Olin really did not want him to stay in that room. No. And that he's really scared of that room. But this scene right here, this little whatever this is, mm-hmm. makes people think that Olin sent that postcard. Olin set the whole thing up as like a fucking wrestling magic. <laughs> Mike Inslin <laughs> in this corner. I don't and in think this so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that. so either. But why did y'all put this in here? It doesn't make any sense. They're well, like, we got to get Sammy Jack. Exactly. <laughs> We love this dude. We loved working with him. We want to see him one more time. And I liked seeing him one more time. I did too. But, but... he should have said something else. Well, he's thankful that I guess he <laughs> set the room on fire or something. Huh? You know, the other thing is that maybe it, were, it wasn't evil intentions. Maybe he knew that Mike Inslin was the only person that could. I understand that. But if you're going on that belief, you have to accept that that whole interaction of them in his office was is bullshit. Fake. And I don't so accept I don't that. Like that. Yeah. Never mind. I don't accept that. But the, ho- the room sent the postcard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. And then just lose that scene. Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like it fits somewhere else. But we'll again, we'll talk about it in a minute. All right. The next time we see Mike, he's in the hospital and he tells Lily that he saw Katie, but she says Katie isn't here and tells him he's in a hospital. This time he asks if the hospital's in New York and she says yes. I wouldn't believe anything anymore, no. man. Yeah. That again, even if you leave this room, you can, you can never, never leave this room. Even if he's out for real, he's always gonna wonder in the back of his mind, is this are they gonna start ripping up this hospital? <laughs> <laughs> she tells him that old wiring started the fire, and Mike is like, Are you really here? <laughs> yeah. And so what, the room covered up its tracks? Because it was clearly <laughs> Yeah. He was like, We don't want you to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Arson is illegal in the state of New York, so <laughs> The next time we see them, they're moving into a new apartment together, and Mike is writing about room 1408. It's a nice apartment. Oh, it is. Those built-in bookshelves, are you oh, kidding me? Yeah. Um, but he says, <laughs> he says Lily saved his life, and the dolphin is closed for now. His readers can believe whatever they want, but no more ghost stories from him. Lily comes in and comments that she's never seen him write that fast before. He tells her, it's easy. I already wrote this. And he did. Oh, my God. He was sending it off when they fucked up that post office. (laughs) He stands up with the aid of a cane, and Lily finds his box of belongings from room 1408 and asks him to let her throw them away because it's just bad memories. Mike tells her she can't throw away bad memories, but he just takes the tape recorder from the box and tells her she can throw the rest. He sits back down and sets the tape recorder in front of him. After some cynical musings, Katie's voice comes through the tape recorder, telling him that she loves him and asking if he still loves her. She says that she wishes the three of them could stay together, and Lily, in shock, drops the box that she's holding. Mike looks at her with an I told you so look as his voice sobs on the tape. Now, again, I made it clear we are covering the theatrical version. Mm -hmm. That was the theatrical ending. To me, the best ending. I agree. Um, I when she dropped the box, it gives me goosebumps every time. I don't know why, because but every time that's her daughter's voice. Yeah, he he, he went through it like mm-hmm. he wasn't. Because she's like, Lily's not here. Yeah. Like that, it wasn't like a psychotic a break. He wasn't yeah, lying. no. The director's cut, and I guess this was the one that was widely released. What on? I think on Blu-ray, yeah. right? Yeah, had a completely different ending where Mike dies in mm-hmm. the fire. 
And Sam and Lily are at his funeral and Olin thinks it's appropriate to roll up on the funeral yeah. <laughs> to, give, <laughs> to give Lily Mike's stuff. Yeah. Belongings? <laughs> he just <laughs> said it. <laughs> and he's like, he did it. Like the room's gone. And Sam's like, can you not? Like, yeah. Can, uh, can a, you leave her alone? A man died. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, hell yeah. Yeah. But pouring she, the cognac on his head. <laughs> <laughs> she said she doesn't want his stuff because she doesn't want to remember him that way. And Sam really doesn't let Olin explain further what Mike did mm-hmm. because he's, he's like, he didn't die in vain. Right. So Olin takes the stuff back to his car and he hears Mike talking to Katie on the tape. And then <laughs> he sees a father and daughter playing in the cemetery, question yeah. mark. Mm-hmm. And when he looks in the back seat, fucking crispy ass Freddy Krueger Mike is back there. <laughs> I'm not liking any of this. No. And then he's like, oh, because he got scared <laughs> yeah. for a second. And then the father and son, I mean, excuse me, the father and daughter walk off together. And he's like, all right, Mike. And then we see Mike still stuck in room 1408. Yeah. And I guess Katie calls to him and he walks off and kind of disappears. I feel like if you were going to go with this ending, this is where well done, Mr. Inslin, well done would have fit in because the room's finally closed now. Mm -hmm. Mike died, but he killed the room, too. That's the only place it would have fit because it it makes him look evil (laughs) in the actual movie. (laughs) Like he did all that, but... And then the other one, I can't find anywhere to watch, but I guess it's Sam getting Mike's effects and him listening to the tape with Katie on it. I did read that part of that ending is Sam getting the manuscript that Mike mailed. Oh, in the... In the oh, see, okay, I like which that. Which is interesting. I just don't like this. Maybe it's because I enjoyed Mike Inslin. Because you don't want him to die. I don't want right. him to die. And John Cusack's performance makes you actually give a shit about oh, this. No. Yes. Yeah. I just feel like this is a much more cohesive ending. Mm-hmm. And that and I'm not one for and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. But him and Lily went through this horrible grief and they probably would have been together if not for that. Right. So they're back together and now they have confirmation that there is something on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that some part of Katie is still here, is still going on. I, think I just feel like it's a much stronger ending. Right. It depends on who you think is most deserving of some form of closure. I, I, I met I Sam once. Yeah. I think it's Mike and Lily. I completely agree. So the theatrical ending wins. I don't think Olin needs that. The room's done. All Olin wanted was for nobody else to yeah. stay in that room. And, and he has it You now. got it, Chief. So <laughs> I just wanted to touch on those because I feel like Maybe more people saw that Olin ending than saw the theatrical one. The theatrical one is the only one that I know. Yeah. yeah. You know? I was just surprised to know that they went with the, on the director's cut, that's what they... Yeah, I, I mean, didn't I don't, like that I, ending. I don't no. either. I did not like that. I'd rather have a weird, well done, Mr. Inslin yeah. moment than have that ending. I just, I don't like it. And Mike's alive. And Mike's well, alive. So now that we talked about that, I just want to, I want to kind of because i was you guys were talking about it so what if he's saying like well done you defeated the room instead of dying well that's you lasted oh, you lasted of- the hour and then it's not well you can tell it was you know he threw the fucking cocktail and set the room <laughs> on fire it's an electrical fire because he's covering for him because he defeated the room olin's covering for right him. Oh. instead of getting him in trouble it's instead of you the room. took care of <laughs> You, but, <laughs> yeah, you took care of my hotel, got rid of the problem. 
I'm going to take care of you. But that's really like, up to the fire department. My- <laughs> well, I know, <laughs> but like, I you don't mean, need to investigate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, open I mean, and shut case. So, yeah. I guess I guess my issue is the placement of it because right. the hotel's no, still right. on fire right now. No, I know, I know, <laughs> but I'm just trying to make sense of it. No, yeah. I get I mean. it, I get it, but I have to ask. Of course. So, what did you guys think of 1408? Uh, I love it. Right, that's great. That's really. I mean, there's there's not much more. I know we'll get into it with our ratings and whatever, but this movie is a fucking wild ride it really and it's is fantastic yeah. and like you said you give a shit about the character mm-hmm. like you care yeah he's a bit of a dick and whatever but i mean you still care you i know feel like mean? that's what makes him a real person or right. seem like a real no, person. yeah i agree because yeah he's pretty douchey and he's no he's yeah real cynical and mm-hmm. and smug but i mean i don't i don't know and there's something in his performance that you feel like there's in some way, on some level, he feels like, maybe I deserve this. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he comes out the other side of it, you know he's going to be a changed person. No, yeah. For sure. It's not a matter of these static characters. Like, he entered the room a dick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he's leaving a decent human being. Oh, yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. I think that... Like I said previously, this is a make or break situation based on John Cusack's performance. 100%. And having that performance anchor this film, it makes it not only excellent as a film on its own, Mm -hmm. but the added element of it being such a faithful adaptation and not losing what was great about the story. Only building. Exactly. Only improving on it. I, I love this movie. I totally agree. Um. There are a couple of weird moments like the, I'm going to go get some cigarettes, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That we talked about. And that whole Olin thing, I really do have issue with where they place that in the movie. But like I said up top, the majority of this film is a one-man show. Yeah. And oh, yeah. John Cusack delivers in every way that he could yep. have. Mm-hmm. And then... I forgot to mention, he goes through all the stages of grief in this room. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's... Which, yes. <laughs> it, the, it's just so smart. And there's so much like in stuff if you're a Stephen King fan mm-hmm. and I just wow I really really love this movie no, yeah. and T you had mentioned earlier that you were afraid going back that it wasn't going to be as good as you remembered mm-hmm. but it fucking holds up like yeah. it holds yeah. up it came out during that time where horror movies were just kind of being cranked out yeah. it holds up it's phenomenal it's still so great and there's nothing that looks and that's the other thing is that the majority of this stuff was done practically and you can tell. There's little to yeah. no CGI, maybe the city behind him when he's on the ledge. But right. o- outside of that, you know, and I think that aids in this film not feeling dated, mm-hmm. A, and B, just completely keeping you in these moments. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, you're, you're not, not like, what taking, is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if the claw person was like a CGI monster, you'd be like, fuck this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's fantastic. So I guess that brings us to ratings. And... Here I go. Um, I've already said all the great things about this. There are it's not perfect, obviously, right. mm-hmm. but I always loved that audiobook. It has a special place in my heart. Obviously, like I said, I'm at blood and smoke on fucking everything. <laughs> um, and then everything's eventual. I was so excited to be able to read what Stephen King wrote about hotels and about 1408 and then being able to see it adapted and changed in ways that honor and build upon the story Mm -hmm. it's just like what more can i ask for you know what i mean right but on a scale from one to ten skulls on the shiver scale (laughs) 
I give 1408 nine out of 10 skulls on the shiver scale. And the floor is open. Um, yeah, this movie is fantastic. Like, I love this movie. And even, I feel like even if there was something in here that kind of dated it, it wouldn't matter because it's still a good movie to be yeah. like, shit, I'm going to watch that. That's true. Um, I would definitely recommend this movie to anybody. And I would watch this again. I probably will watch it again just to watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but man, like I said, it's a fucking ride. And and I know we've said it again, but the performance this dude gives, like it's it it is, and you're like a hundred percent right. If he would have fucked this up, this movie would have been terrible. It would have mm-hmm. ruined it. But the fucking talent on this dude to come in here. And on his own, bring every emotion, every fucking holy shit. I feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, are you really gonna use this dude's daughter to fucking torture yeah, him again? Man. You're really gonna, you know what I mean? It's like son of a bitch. And every time he makes a face <laughs> or a gesture or does something, you feel that shit. Mm-hmm. So I've I've got to go from one to ten skulls on the shiver scale. I want to give 1408 also a nine. And this, you know, I know we talked about it earlier, but this is a movie that I feel like is timeless. It's it's fantastic. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's got problems. It's whatever. But I mean, fucking hell. Like, (laughs) it's great. It is. And and I, I, I know, again, you know, go back to it. But the fucking like everything sam jackson oh John yeah Cusack, everything i don't know what monk's doing here but you know <laughs> but welcome yeah, yeah. But we please. appreciate thank it. you for yeah. coming yes but yeah this movie's great no i agree with both of you i feel like the addition of katie and lily mm-hmm. was such a risk oh yeah because you could very easily just be like oh this is just a screenwriter trying to add some emotional weight right you know the bare bones of this story and then whatever but it leads to some very emotionally rewarding moments yes. that make the film work mm-hmm. and really make it what it is. So, I mean, I'm not going to repeat myself a bunch, but again, John Cusack's performance, not oh, enough yeah. can be said no. about what like, he did here. We're going on and on, but he deserves more. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Because when you have the weight of an entire film on your shoulders, you know, and I got to say, man, this one scene that he has with Samuel L. Jackson, one scene where he really gets to go one-on-one with another actor. Yeah. It's one of the best scenes in the whole film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's just two dudes talking in an office. Yep. It's fantastic. Um, I would like this director to make more Stephen King adaptations. I would love that. If we could just hand it off to him and Mike Flanagan exclusively. (laughs) I would love it. Only. But I digress. I'm going to say out of... One to ten skulls on the shiver scale. I will be completing this hat trick, and I'm going to give 1408 nine out of ten skulls on the shiver scale. Ding, 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 ding. I did it. And you know what? I know there's other hotel things and this and that, but show me a better haunted hotel movie movie Besides than the this. Yeah. Well, no, I know, but yeah. I mean, there's, there's three people on The Shining and some more side <laughs> characters and just... John Cusack here. Right. Yeah. Of course, Sam's there and mm-hmm. he's doing fantastic like he always does. When we see him. Right. Yeah. yeah. But fucking hell, dude. <laughs> For you to bring up The Shining, I have to say this is probably 
because The Shining's my favorite, even though right. it's the worst adaptation, but it's the greatest film. <laughs> That's totally true. You know, and this is up there as one of the best adaptations of any Stephen King material, period. For sure. And which is good because then that means we won't get a miniseries called 1408 that Stephen King is trying to <laughs> fix what was wrong Thank or whatever. God. Yeah. Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate 1408 and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at The Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at Travis and WH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, disbelief can keep you grounded, but it won't keep you safe. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woohoo! It's a party over here, you guys. Absolutely. Um, A very special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Husden, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Gary Fender, Jordan Nash, Kent and Allison Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, and Jennifer Perez. Thank each of you so much. Thank you all. It sincerely means the world to us. You deserve an extra mint on your pillow. Each <laughs> and every single one of you. We don't just hand those out. Oh, no. no. You got to earn those. Yeah. Even fix the toilet paper, too. <laughs> Fold it under. That's right. Full turn down service. I mean, you're welcome. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, honest. honestly, no. Thank you all. Check Seriously. out at 11. <laughs> Suffice it to say, we appreciate you checking into our show, and we hope you never check out. (laughs) That's kind of scary. You're stuck. Yeah, you can't leave. Even if you leave this show, you You can can never never leave leave this this show. show. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time.